This is episode 26 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. I'm Grant Richter, and I'll be your host as we explore the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examine real life through the lens of a Superman fan. It could be an intense world out there, so let's go face it together. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode is going to be a little shorter. We are jumping into the Legion time sphere and jumping to the far, far future of this month and taking a look at Batman Superman World's Finest number three by Mark Wade and Dan Mora is an excellent story. I like it a lot. Um, I hope you guys like the new intro to the show. I'm trying out something different now that we've hit a uh, 25 issue milestone. If you haven't checked out issue 25, I excuse me, episode 25, I highly recommend you do that. It is a double sized episode where I talked about the first two issues of JLA Avengers by Kurt Busiek and George Perez as part of a tribute to the late great George Perez. Um, I will be doing issues issue three of that series next episode and then episode issue four two episodes after that um but anyway back to this episode um yeah true uh world's finest is a really fun series it is the only current series that i'm covering for the show at the moment uh and i enjoy it a lot but before that as always i have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude, and man, is there a lot to have thoughts on right now. Um, so recently, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you know that I've been reading Final Crisis by Grant Morrison, and I love it. I know it's a somewhat controversial series. Uh, a guest on uh, Digging for Kryptonite recently referred to it as the a great exit point from comics. Uh, I disagree. I, I think it's great. Um, it's a it's a little heady at times, but if you look at it from what Morrison's trying to do, it's it's really good. Um, but as I was reading it, I I feel like Morrison isn't just as almost with all things Morrison, he's not just telling a story. He's telling kind of a meta story. And uh, if you're not familiar with the plot of Final Crisis, it is that the evil gods of Apocalypse have died and they've reincarnated in human bodies and they have spread uh, the anti-life equation through the internet. And so the anti-life equation starts taking over the world. And once you become fully infected with the anti-life equation, you become a conduit for Darkseid. So Darkseid is not only reincarnating in a single body, which is Inspector Dan Turpin, but he is also reincarnating through the entire population of the planet, and um, which is a really neat take. And 
I think before this, anti-life had always just been written as the absence of will. You know, you, you have no will of your own. Your will is the will of dark side. But the way Morrison writes it, it also is written as bringing out the worst qualities in people. Um, we see that in how, well, not not so much. It, I was going to say in the, in Mary Marvel because she has like this really kind of depraved, like skinhead BDSM thing going on. But I think she's also has like the re. I think she's also hosting the spirit of Desaad. So that's not it. But as you read the panels, as anti-life is spreading throughout the world, and you see, you know, these oh, these signs that has the omega symbol on them that say obey dark side, and there's cop cars that have these these things on them that are kind of blasting the anti-life signal everywhere, and these shock troops walking the street. You people, you see the uh, the cop car blasting or, or blaring this thing over and over, and uh, a loudspeaker judge others, condemn the different, exploit the weak. And there's a lot to be said about that being well, whether Morrison intended it to be a metaphor or not. Um, it feels to me like a metaphor or a a parallel to things now um, because uh, terrible, terrible things are going on. Um, I'm, I'm recording this the day after the school shooting in, in Texas, and I'm trying my best to kind of hold it together, and it's really, really hard. And um, I talked about on Twitter that I, I use this podcast not just as an excuse to geek out about Superman, but you know, also kind of a way to kind of deal with my own anxiety. So I do appreciate you guys listening. Um, give me somebody to talk, you know, even though it's not a dialogue, it's somebody to talk to, um, to kind of, you know, help me express these feelings. Um, and it's, it's not just the shooter, um, who was expressing just the worst parts of humanity. It's, it's the people encouraging it. It's, it's the people in power who are enabling, uh, individuals who may or may not have mental health problems to access very destructive weapons that, that they're also encouraging through, through these dog whistling things that they say, um, that they encourage these, um, homicidal intentions in other people and usually against, against minorities, uh, people of color, uh, the LBGTQ community, women. Um, and, and it's, it's just the, the worst aspects of humanity that are coming out. Um, and later in final crisis, I think it's the next to last issue um, so not only is the, the anti-life equation being spread through the internet, but um, the superheroes are being captured and they're being fitting, fitted with these helmets. They're called uh, justifier helmets. And when you, get the, when you get the helmet on you, it affects you with the anti-life to a different degree. It doesn't com- make you a completely mindless drone, but it does brainwash you to make you a willing servant of Darkseid. And there's a scene where Black Canary, who is still free who still has her in mind is fighting green arrow who has 
a Justifier helmet, and she manages to rip the helmet off of him, and he's he's still somewhat under the control of the anti-life, and she's telling him to fight it, and there's a panel where, he, where Green Arrow has this tiny little word balloon that says, it's so easy. And that really struck me. Um, because, you know, anti-life you know, anti is fear plus despair plus just every, every terrible, awful feeling. Let me get, I think it's on the cover of the one that I'm looking at now. No, um, sorry. But it's all these, you know, it's like a math problem. Fear plus anger plus hate plus rage plus despair plus all these things, which is the anti-life equation. And all those things can be so easy to give into. Like I rem I've talked on here before about how I used to be um, very angry all the time. And in, to be perfectly honest, I, I still am. I just channel it in more productive ways. But back in the day, I would get angry. And it was usually something pointlessly angry about. Just angry at the universe because I didn't understand why I was really upset. And I would lean into it. I'd listen to like music that made me angrier. And I'd really just dig into that anger. I would make myself more and more angry until finally I didn't have the energy to keep it up. And that anger would dissipate into depression. And then I would lean into my depression. I would listen to depressing music and I would watch depressing movies and, you know, just become this brooding mess. And then I would do something stupid because I was depressed and then I'd be angry at myself for doing it and then I'd be angry again and it would just go over and over and cycle and cycle and cycle. And it's so easy to give into that, especially depression. If you're a person with depression, depression can almost feel like a comfortable blanket sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to get out from under it. Um, but we have to, um, especially now. And I know we're all, we're all mourning right now and we're all freaking out a little bit. Um, and it took a lot of effort for me to go record today. Um, but, you know, we can't give up on day-to-day -day life, for one. We, we can't stop doing the things that bring us some kind of happiness, one for our own mental and emotional well-being. Um, plus, I, I like the idea of being able to reach out to other people who may be hurting to maybe help in some, some little way that I can. Um, so we can't give we can't give in to these feelings, and we definitely can't give up. I've, I've talked about this recently, when I talked about the this the terrible Supreme Court decision that's probably coming down on us next month. We can't stop. We can't give up. We can't bury our heads in the sand. We've got to stay motivated. It's okay if you don't feel optimistic. I don't feel optimistic either. But I'm also not going to give up. We, we've got to be informed. We've got, we've got to vote and we have to keep moving forward because if we stop, they, they may win one way or another, but they shouldn't win without a fight. And if, and if we push forward, not hard enough, because I don't want to give the wrong implication, but if we stay motivated and we keep pushing forward in a positive manner,
we we can the the possibility of us winning is there and we've got to hold on to that and you know we don't have you know, superman's miracle machine from the end of final crisis we don't have hal jordan coming along and staking a giant cosmic vampire that feeds off of stories um, like in the end of Final Crisis, but we've got each other. We can't rely on on external forces. We can't rely on on systems to save us. We can't rely on politicians to save us and judges to save us. We've got to save ourselves, and we can only do that by being motivated and making our our voices heard at the polls this year and every election cycle after this. So that is all I can think of to articulate about this particular thought. So I'm going to go regroup. I'm going to try to put on my happy talking about comic books voice. And I'll be back in just a bit to talk about World's Finest number three. Okay, we're back. Um, That did take me a lot longer to pull myself together than I thought it would. I recorded the Fortress segment on Wednesday. I'm now recording this segment on Thursday, and you guys should be hearing this on Friday, but um, I am feeling regrouped, and now we can talk about something more lighthearted, namely Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number three. Let me scroll forward to the credits here. Again, it's written by Mark Wade. The artist is Dan Mora. The penciler is Tamara Bonvillain. I love that name. <laughs> the letter is... Aditya Bidikar, and I hope I'm not uh, mangling that name. Um, and there is a ton of variant covers. I have the main one uh, by Mora, and it is of our villain of the series, the Devil Neza, uh, who is kind of holding, summoning this magic clock face, and it's shattering, and we can see. Uh, Tim, not Tim, uh, Dick Grayson back when he was Robin and Supergirl kind of trying to escape from it as the, as the clock face shatters with, uh, Batman and Superman rushing Neza from the back. Now, a quick bit of, uh, recap on this. Uh, the devil Neza is a new bad guy. Uh, I was hoping it was going to be Magog uh, because we see a shadow of a horned figure in the first issue, but sadly it is not. Um, I'm probably the only person <laughs> that wants to see Magog come back, but that's that's just me. Um, and he is enacting a plan. We don't know what his end game is yet to take out several of Earth's superheroes at the same time. He had uh, Poison Ivy and Metallo attack Batman and Superman in the first issue. Metallo injected Superman with a red kryptonite cocktail, which were causing his powers to go dangerously out of control. Batman took Superman to the Doom Patrol's headquarters, where Niles Calder and Negative Man were able to get the last of the red kryptonite radiation out of Superman's blood. Um, and that is when Niles kind of gave them an exposition dump about this devil Neza, who is a, an ancient warlord who was, who was killed then brought back to life and, and granted immortality in the process, 
turned him super evil if he wasn't already. And he has been going around collecting magical artifacts and, and building an army of followers. Uh, the last issue closed when uh, Superman and Batman went after Felix Faust, who was tormenting Billy Batson. And at the, uh, at the end of that issue, Faust seemingly banished Batman and Superman and Billy to literal hell. And we open with Batman and Billy surrounded by fire and demons. And some of these demons are really cool looking. We have a big, very uh, uh, obese demon with barbed wire running around its arms and in and out of its back. And you, we see one thing that looks like it's covered head to toe in spider eyes. And this other thing that's like 90% ribs. And it's just really cool. And Batman is kind of sort of freaking out. He's being wrapped up in barbed wire and it hurts and and Billy can't say the magic word because Faust has like erased his mouth matrix style. And uh, Batman's being tormented with uh, images of his parents being killed. And Batman shouting, Superman, where are you? And then we see Superman just hovering above the ground very close to him with his eyes closed and his fists clenched. He's concentrating. And Batman is saying, Superman, for God's sake, snap out of it. Do something. And with his eyes closed, Superman puts his uh, finger to his lips for quiet. He reaches down to Batman's utility belt, grabs a, a batarang, throws it with his eyes closed, and hits Felix Faust in the shoulder. In fact, it impales Felix's shoulder. And we see that one of the demons that had been seemingly tormenting Batman was, in fact... Faust surrounded by an illusion, and we see that the entire infernal scenario is, in fact, an illusion. <laughs> and when I first read this, I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of like an end of Zack Snyder's Justice League moment where Superman cuts off Steppenwolf's horn with his heat vision, which I, in general, kind of like that movie. I don't particularly like that scene. Um, but because we see Superman <laughs> zapping Faust in the shoulder with his heat vision. But what I realize now is it's uh, actually Superman cauterizing the wound so that Faust doesn't bleed out. But it's got to hurt real bad. And Superman is saying uh, the depravity of your imagination turns my stomach, Faust. But you're a sadist. You never torment us without sticking around to revel in the sights and sounds of it. All I had to do was listen for a fourth heartbeat. Yours. And he grabs Faust by the shirt and pulls him close and says, fix Billy now. And um, then we see where Faust's eyes roll up in his head. And it kind of sort of looks like he's fainted. But... Uh, but Superman says he's out like someone flipped a switch. And what I'm guessing that means is that um, Neza has implanted some kind of, uh, not like a suicide device, but like a psychic version of a poison pill that at least renders you comatose. Because, you know, obviously this is supposed to be set sometime in the past, which I realize I've neglected to mention sometime in the indeterminate past, because as the cover indicates, Dick Grayson is still Robin at this time. And we know Faust lives past this, but uh, it apparently does render him comatose, or at least unconscious. 
and we see Batman holding Billy, whose mouth has returned to normal now that Faust is unconscious. And Batman is saying, my mind was clouded. It was so real. The pain, the heat, the screaming. Very convincing. How did you know we, we weren't actually in hell? And then there's a pause with Batman smiling wryly and it says, because Superman doesn't believe in hell, of course. And um, that's interesting. Um, and again, Superman and Batman don't know each other super well at this point. There was a flashback with this whole story is a flashback there, was, but there was a flashback within a flashback in issue one, whereas even further in the past where Dick was probably like 12 or 13. Now he's supposed to be probably 18. Um, and so they've known each other for a few years, but I don't think they're supposed to be as close as they are in the modern era. And my interpretation of this is that Batman assumes that Superman, because he's so incredibly good, doesn't believe in the idea of people being tormented for all eternity. And, I, you know, that that checks with me. I don't... I've, some people have interpreted this as Batman assuming that Superman is an atheist. I don't think that's even possible <laughs> within the superhero community. Um, and again, this is sometime in the past. Um, this would, if Morrison's JLA is still canon, this probably would have been before then. But, um, you know, we know that Superman has, has encountered uh, the presence the DC uh, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent being that all earthly religions are are more or less founded upon, um, and you know he's encountered the Specter and and Asmodel and Zariel and all these things. But again, this is sometime later in the future. But you know, it's I, I've said this before. There's no way Superman doesn't believe in these beings. But I don't personally think he worships them. I think that Superman believes in the power of the human spirit, and that's where his faith lies. He was raised Protestant by his parents in Kansas, but I think in his journeys as a superhero, having you know mega hyper cosmic adventures, I think his his overwhelmingly uh, his faith ultimately lies in the ability of people to rise above their their baser natures. You know, it takes us back to my my uh, Fortress of Solitude segment this episode. And uh, so, you know, they have a little bit of banter about where Batman says that Superman should have gone pro, which is kind of a nod to when Superman played football in the burn era. And again, I, that's another thing I'm glad kind of got retconned out in the in the 2000s. That's one of my least favorite bits about, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about Burns Run, but that's one of them. But then Billy wakes up, his eyes snap open and he is, his pupils are blank and he has his squiggly black speech bubbles. that said, there is no strategy, you caped Harlequins. There is only death of, to you and your kind at the hands of my soldiers. So says the devil Neza. And we see his shadow behind him has long hair and horns like that of Neza. And so Batman, uh, Superman says, you and your kind, not Calder warned us that other heroes were under attack. They need our help. So they take off. And so they 
I, <laughs> I assume they take Billy somewhere safe. But uh, while all that is going on, we cut to we cut to Mont Blanc, Switzerland, where Robot Man and Rita and uh, Negative Man are all approaching the fortress of General Amortis. And uh, they get to this big castle up in Switzerland, and they find their way very easily through some goons. And then they find General Amortis in basically a big hospital room. It's got a hospital bed and like one of those monitor things that's attached to the wall. And it's surrounded by, by plants. And he's just tending to his plants. He goes, look at you. You're so very pretty, aren't you? And the robot man grabs him and goes, now my robot man voice is pretty much the same thing as my thing voice, so you'll have to excuse me. Surprise, Methuselah, not so cocky when you leave your thermonuclear assault ray in your other pants, are you? I know that canonically uh, Cliff doesn't sound like that, but I can't do an old overweight Brendan Fraser voice, so I'm just going to go with my thing voice. And uh, General Amortis, who was a longtime Doom Patrol villain, goes, who are you? And we see that in his old age, uh, General Amortis is now suffering from Alzheimer's. Now, if you're not familiar with General Amortis, I have not read anything with him either, but I combed through DC's Who's Who's religiously as a child. Uh, those came out when I was 10. My best friend Wade got me into them. I found them. I did not have very many. I had like four or five out of the however many they were. I think there was like a dozen of them. At least I had a few. But I had the ones with the G's and H's and the I's. And General Mortis is this really old guy who found the secret to immortal life, but not immortal youth. And so his he's never going to die, but his body keeps aging, which is a fascinating concept. And there is a lot of potential for some really cool creative body horror in that concept. But I don't think anyone's ever explored that. But yeah, I could see some um, kind of Anton Arcane kind of stuff from Swamp Thing, especially from the early 80s, right before Alan Moore took it over, where uh, where. Arcane had given himself immortality, but he still could age, and he died, and then he was put together by, like, insect-styled unmen, and he had this zombie cyborg spider body, and it was one of the cool—drawn by Stephen Bissett is one of the coolest and grossest things I've ever seen. I like that—I had that comic when I was, like, eight or nine years old. It freaked me the F out. <laughs> but I read it a lot because I thought it was really, really neat. But anyway, um, they, uh, you know, they're trying to get information out of them. And uh, finally, said, uh, Robot Man says that maybe Negative Man can spook him. And so the Negative Spirit transforms himself into uh, the Devil Nazos sigil, which kind of looks like devil horns and a mouth. And uh, Amortis freaks out and he goes, it's him, Nasa, protect me. And Rita comforts him and says, we know he's not here. He's somewhere else. Where would that be? And uh, Amortis says, there is a concealed tomb on an island off Cordo Maltese. And when Rita says, can you be more specific? He goes, hello, you seem familiar. Have we met? 
and they acknowledge that's the best they're going to get out of him and they leave. And from there, we cut to China in the year uh, 1579 BCE. And Robin and Supergirl are being attacked by these guardians uh, who are, are part of an organization that fought Nazov way, way, way back in the day. And they assume that Robin and Supergirl are minions of Nazov because Robin has Nazov's sword. And these guys are called the Warriors of G, J-I. And, uh, and they're, you got one guy who's really strong and another guy who can kind of shoot fire and chains at the same time. And another guy that has the staff that he can spin around real fast and make hurricane uh, winds with. And the big strong guy punches the ground real hard and he can increase her increase gravity, which is really neat, which is a cool power. And uh, he's actually using his power to crush Supergirl into the ground. And uh, Robin is trying to hold them off and he takes off his mask and he says, the legend says that only the house of G could defeat the devil Nazar in combat. We're, we're hiding nothing. See, all we need to know is how to beat them. And, um, and so somehow this convinces them. So Robin has dropped Nazar's sword, you know, which I guess symbolized that they didn't work together. And uh, one of the other guardians, who is a lady made of water, says the girl flies at lightning speed, and yet she did come to us hand extended. Let them speak, but cautiously. And so the one guy with gravity powers lets her up. And we see that, you know, again, we have a lady with water powers. We have a guy with fire powers. We have a guy with air powers. We have a guy who is as one with the forces of the earth, they say. And I am, the lady's name is Shui. The fire guy is Huo, the air guy is Kong Chi, and the earth guy is Di Chi. And I am not going to attempt to butcher those names anymore, so I'm just going to call them Waterbender, Firebender, Airbender, and Earthbender from now on. Um, and so uh, Robin introduces himself in Supergirl, and the, the words of G explain that uh, uh, how uh, Neza was defeated a long time ago. And so Waterbender Lady says, laboring for months in a hidden area on a distant island, an entire village exhausted three generations worth of magic in order to construct a special tomb designed to hold the devil Neza. And we see that it's this uh, tomb built into the side of a mountain, and there's these uh, two jade uh, lion dogs out front, and it's and there's a very cool fight scene of the four of them fighting Devil Neza. And it says, It was our sworn task to force the beast inside. For five days and nights we warred continuously. Much pain was endured. Much blood was spilled, but we pushed. Every single foot length of the ground was hard-earned, but still we persevered. Eventually, with almost nothing left to give, we managed to herd him into his prison. Yet we were not yet done. There was still the matter of sealing the door. And we see where somebody got stabbed. Um, and it's a guy, I, I assume it's a guy, we don't see them, their face, we see them from the back, they have long hair tied into a queue in the back of their head, 
I think it's supposed to be a guy though. And this person has kind of light shooting out of their hand. And we see the where Nazoth stabbed them in the chest. So apparently there used to be five warriors. Now there's only four. And so Robin says, okay, that last part doesn't sound so hard, but what aren't you telling us? Well, and the warriors of G are kind of looking sheepish like, oh man, this is awkward. But then we jump back to the present of this story, and we see Superman carrying Batman as he flies over uh, many, many, many miles. And in the last issue, we saw Supergirl carrying Robin in almost the exact same position, where it just looks like Batman is standing there while Superman is holding him under his arms and flying, and uh, you know, j flying enough that their capes are building in the breeze, but Batman himself isn't building in the breeze. And so it's pretty funny. And they're having a bit of banter. And Superman is saying, does it concern you that this devil Nasa isn't coming at us directly? And Batman says, yet. And Superman says, thoughts? And Batman says, it's frustrating. We need to find out how much he knows about us, what he wants, where he is, and what the extent of his, of his power. And Superman's smiling and says, that's detective work, the part you enjoy. And Batman says... I wouldn't say enjoy. There are some mysteries that X-ray vision and superhearing can't solve. And Superman says, why do you think I keep you around? And Batman says, I assume it was for Robin's hero worship. Very good dialogue. Very funny. So they approach Central City. They can see Barry Allen uh, running through the city, but there's no sign of Wonder Woman. Batman suggests that Superman go find Wonder Woman and Batman will join the Flash. And um, this is, again, like I said, Barry, but we're seeing an older costume here. Now, I don't really love Barry Allen's costume since New 52. I think it's a little too busy. Um, and some part of my brain can accept cloth being shrunk down to fit inside a ring and then expand into a human-sized costume. It ha I have trouble uh, reaching outside of that uh, suspension of disbelief to accept tiny little pieces of metal or plastic or whatever Barry's costume is made out of from the New 52 and then expanding and doing the same thing. Um, but this is a Barry's classic costume. It's pretty much the same thing that Wally wore for years and years and years and years and years. And we see that Flash is fighting Mirror Master, and Mirror Master has surrounded Flash with a bunch of floating mirrors. He's going, where am I, Flash? So many choices. And Flash uh, says, they're all decoys, Mirror Master. Looking at the symbol on my own costume, I can tell exactly which portal you're hiding behind. And so he runs toward the one uh, mirror that he realizes a portal, but Superman says, Flash, no, don't do it. But Flash runs through the mirror, and it is an uh, actual portal which takes him to a blank dimension of nothingness. And Mirror Master smashes the mirror, leaving Flash trapped. Nearby, we see that Dr. Alchemy, or Mr. Element, perhaps whatever uh, version of this character, um... Uh, they're they're going by. It's the guy with the blue costume and the green hood that has the philosopher's stone that can transmute elements. And we see where everything in this area has been turned to clay. 
uh, buildings, cars, the street, people, and Wonder Woman. And Dr. Alchemy saying, from clay the Amazon arose, into clay she has returned. You, on the other hand, can easily re be reduced to carbon. Now, I acknowledge that I am not the most knowledgeable Wonder Woman fan. Um, um, I am familiar with her pre-New 52 origin, where she was made from clay and imbued with, you know, by Hippolyta and imbued with life by the gods. And I am familiar with her New 52 origin, where she is actually the biological child of Hippolyta and Zeus. I don't know if those two origins have merged somehow. I know that during rebirth, there was some, there was a bit of back and forth where she had the memories of both histories, but uh, about three issues into that run, Steve Trevor starts making an appearance and Steve Trevor gets on my last freaking nerve. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because I just, I just don't like Steve. I've, I've, it's not that I don't like Wonder Woman being with a dude. Um, I thought the guy from where she was having her Norse adventure was pretty fun, Sig, uh, Siegfried. Um, and I liked when she was with Nemesis in the post-Infinite Crisis era, but I just don't like Steve Trevor. Um, I, I don't know. But um, so I don't know what the deal is. And obviously this is sometime in the past. And of course this is after death metal where pretty much every version of every character counts somehow in a metatextual way. So I don't know what the deal is with that. But as, uh, oh yeah, and we see where Batman does call him Dr. Alchemy. He has also gone by Mr. Element at some point. Um, but we see uh, that as uh, Dr. Alchemy starts blasting at Superman, uh, at Batman, excuse me, Superman has wrapped Mirror Master up in a street uh, a street light, and he's saying, tell me where the flash went, and Mirror Master says, I'll do better than that. I'll show you. You can join him. And he makes this portal mirror form in the sky, and it's full of red. It's like a red background with black crackling energy, and then the portal starts chasing Superman. And Mirror Master says, run fast, Superman, run far, but even you can't escape a magic mirror, courtesy of the devil, Neza. And so as Batman is dodging around, um, trying to avoid getting blasted by Dr. Alchemy, Batman uh, jumps up on a, on a uh, fire escape and he sees Superman flying across the sky. He goes, Clark, how can I help? And Superman says, keep doing what you're doing. I need to draw Alchemy's fire one more time. And they go, ready, now. And as Dr. Alchemy blasts at Superman, super, uh, Batman, again, sorry, Superman uh, flies past Batman and the mirror portal gets in front of the blast just at the last second. Superman punches Dr. Alchemy out and Batman grabs the Philosopher's Stone and... Uh, and so just as that happens, they look up and they see Hal Jordan floating above them. And we only see Hal from the back at first. And he says, relax, guys. I've just gotten word that Nazar is no longer using villains as soldiers. And Batman says, Green Lantern, glad we're not alone in this fight. Wait, word from where? And that is where we see that now 
um, the the sigil of the devil Nazar is superimposed over Hal's face, and he's radiating green energy everywhere, saying, "Where do you think?" And then he traps Superman and Batman in a lantern energy cage. And Batman's saying he doesn't understand. Nazar's been in prison for millennia. How does he even know who all these heroes and villains are who, or who else to conscript? And so he gets on his communicator and he radios Alfred. He says, I need you to check the Bat computer. See if, anyone, see if anyone's accessed the Justice League servers. And we see Alfred standing in the Bat cave. And he has images of Wally West, the Metal Man, Dr. Fate, and... What might be Aquaman, although he doesn't have the beard and long hair. It's some guy, and it looks like he has chainmail on his shoulders. I don't know, and it looks like he's holding Aquaman's trident. So I don't know. Oh, right, right, right. This is in the past. So yeah, that's probably supposed to be Aquaman. Man, I keep forgetting that this takes place sometime in the past because I enjoy the story so much. I want it to be current. But Alfred's saying, I'm looking now, Master Bruce, but I have to say, everything seems just as it should be. And that's where we see that the devil Nazar is standing behind Alfred with his hand on Alfred's shoulders. So he is, I don't think he's actually physically supposed to be there. Because when we see Alfred from the back, we don't see anyone. But when we see him from the side, that is when we see Nazar standing behind him. So I think he's kind of psychically influencing or magic psychically influencing Alfred and that is it and we get a cool shot of the of the bat cave and we see a alternate batman suit up on a, a mannequin in the background it's got like extra long gloves that go up past the elbows it looks like it's pretty neat um but yeah and so the devil devil Nazar is using batman's own systems to target the superheroes which is pretty rad. And man, I really, really like this series. Um, I know it's only three issues in. And, uh, you know, uh, for those of you that just absolutely love the Rebirth era and are, are enjoying my coverage of it, I, I apologize for interrupting that coverage for this. But it's such a good series. And me being able to jump on it with issue one... Um, and start covering it was the timing was just perfect. So I, I don't think there's any way I couldn't talk about this series on here. But um, that is it. Um, some highlights, like I said, I really the I don't like Hal Jordan in general, and it is neat. Uh, we get another reminder. That this is sometime in the past because this is Hal's old costume where the green part. On his torso, it goes all the way down to his uh, lower midsection as well, where it kind of is like a a, a unitard, <laughs> like it's a green unitard, a green, uh, I don't know, whatchamacallit, saying it, it covers the trunks area as well as the chest area. It's not the, the costume that cuts off just around the waistline, where the green cuts off around the waistline. Um, lots of neat little visual, visual representation. Um, the banter between... Superman and Batman is great. Um, I am the the more I r catch up on Barry Allen's. Um, uh, oh come on, not regeneration. His his when he comes back to life, 
in Final Crisis, the more I love Barry Allen. That was one of the few series that I read consistently during the New 52. I read New 52 Flash up to the point where, um, oh, Manipool left the book and Brett Booth took over as the inker. I don't, I don't love Brett Booth's ink, uh, pencils, honestly. Um, I'm going to go back and, re and start reading them. Um, but yeah, probably next to Superman, I would say Barry Allen's my favorite DC character. Um, and then if you guys have been following me on Twitter, you guys know that I, I also have a great love for the Legion of Superheroes as well. Um, Dick Grayson as Robin in this is wonderful. He pretty much has the Tim Drake costume on this where he's got the long, the long green tights and he's got the, the kind of padded sleeves and he's got the, uh, um, kind of instead of the, the crisscrossy yellow straps on the red part, he's got like, like the little yellow frog knots, which is nice. Supergirl's costume is great. I love the stylized S on it. Um, the yellow lines that separate the, the S from the shoulder bits is good. I wish she had pants, but when we, when she falls down, in the mud, uh, or when she's getting back up from where the earthbender guy was putting gravity on her, we see that she's wearing what looks like bicycle shorts under them, which is lovely, which perfect. Um, I noticed that um, in my 90s reread, the artists who were doing Matrix Supergirl at least had it to where the skirt was a separate part of the costume. And so it wasn't just like, oh, there's her panties underneath it. It was like a, a unitard. So, but yeah, I like the bicycle, bicycle shorts a lot better. Um, but I hope that when we get more Supergirl adventures in, uh, contemporary story stories that take place in the present, I hope they go back to the costume with pants that she had at the very, very end of woman of tomorrow. Um, like I said, I think there's a lot of potential for Dr. Amortis or general Amortis. I wish more writers had done stuff with that. And I, I was disappointed that Billy doesn't turn into uh, Captain Marvel slash Shazam at the end of this. I think Wade could probably do a lot of fun stuff with Shazam. He has the kind of lighthearted writing chops to handle that character very well. Um, and at the very beginning, the, the illusory... Uh, inferno hell dimension that that uh batman thinks he's in is really really well rendered so if you haven't picked this up yet i highly recommend you do so all right so i'm gonna go take a quick break i promise i, I won't take me a day to get back um and then we'll wrap everything up bye and that does it for episode 26 of truth justice and hope a superman podcast um just to give you guys a heads up, I am going to have to take next week off from the show. Um, I am leaving later this afternoon as I'm recording this to go get some dental surgery done. So I'm going to sound like I have a mouthful of mashed potatoes for a few days. That is not conducive to good recording. And uh, next week I have to help my in-laws move into their new house. So I am not... Even after I recover, and I'm not going to have time to record next week, sadly. But uh, by the end of the week, I should have a little time, and I should be able to get episode 27 out um, 
Again, not this following Monday, but the Monday after that. And for episode 27, we are going to go even for we're going to go backwards in the Legion time sphere back to 2003 or is it 2000? Yeah, 2003. And we are going to pick up on episode three of JLA Avengers by Kurt Busiek and George Perez. I'm looking forward to that because I am, I am re-reading it. I'm not reading ahead. I've read it before. I know what happens, but I I haven't read it since it first came out, and so I'm enjoying re-experiencing it in real time for the show. And so that is going to be fun. Um, again, I'm sorry it won't be next week. It will be the week after, but I hope the wait will be worth it. But until then, remember, as always, to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love ya.